Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 262, Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chandler. And Shaq, it's going on this Saturday night in Houston, Texas. Full capacity crowd for the new lightweight championship. It's going to go down this Saturday night. A new champ will emerge. Yeah, man, I'm looking... I'm looking forward to this fight uh, very much, man. Charles Oliveira, I've, I've been watching him since like he was a, a, a kid, you know, back in the days when he was on the on his first UFC run. I know you remember when he took the UFC by storm at first, and then uh, <clears throat> and then Michael Chandler, the same thing as well, man. I've been watching him since the the MTV two days, man, back on Bellator. So I, I'm I'm excited to see both men. They worked a, a very long. Uh, uh, I mean, they both had a long career to to get to this point. A lot of setbacks, and they both have overcome adversity to be in this spot. So you got two dogs in there fighting on on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, the first time I saw Charles Oliveira when he uh, submitted Darren Elkins, I was like, man, this guy could be a future world champion. And we've seen the ups, we've seen the downs, and it's never been a, an, a, an you know it's never been a matter of skill with Charles Oliveira. He's always been super well rounded. He's got a nasty series with his chokes. I mean, he'll run you through that series. His kickboxing is on point. It's always been a question of the mentality. You know, there have been some spots in fights where you won. Now the big question is, has he gotten over that? He's on an eight-fight win streak. And we're going to talk about like, the legitimacy of that win streak and whether it's going to that breakdown. And then on the other hand, you got Michael Chandler, people saying this guy didn't pay his dues. I'm like, look, you don't get to a U.S. You don't, you don't finish Eddie Alvarez and beat some of the guys he's beat not be deserving of a world title shot. So I think Mike Chandler is the real deal, Shaq. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, look, I get where other people are coming from. They may, I mean, look, it's Bellator. They have lesser fighters, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, but I mean, he fought Eddie twice. He fought Benson. He fought Patricio. He fought Patricky. He, I mean, he fought some good guys. So um, was there the occasional, you know, uh, Sydney Outlaw, or you know, did Charles Oliveira get an opportunity to fight guys like that? I mean, he fought, you know, his Christos Giagoses and the and the Jared Gordon. So, I mean, it looks pretty even to me, man. But um, Chandler definitely deserves this. I mean, he's been fighting at the highest level for a, a decade, so um, I'm excited. I am as well, man. And in the co-main event, you got an all-violence fight between Benil Darius and Tony Ferguson. So we're gonna get into. This whole car. We're gonna break down start to finish, but uh, first up, we gotta give a big shout out to our sponsor, Manscaped, always taking care of us, always hooking us up. And breaking news, guys, this is an important PSA brought to you by Manscaped. This is your pubic service announcement, and the news you've all been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully lawnmower. Oh, that's what I got in my hands right here. This trimmer is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. And this new, trimmer, this new trimmer was just released a week ago, and we are one of the first to get our hands on it and share the news. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with an exclusive offer, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code BATTLE20 at manscaped.com. Now, I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I am blown away by the performance. At first, I was like, how could you top the 3.0? Well, let me tell you, they top the 3.0. Craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. Their advanced ceramic blade and skin-safe technology is so good that it almost seems as if Manscaped worked with Elon Musk's engineering uh, team to ensure your testes are as safe as possible. You know, I legitimately thought they did. And 
you know, we talk about those short notice opportunities. I know we said we can't use Kevin Holland as an example anymore, but hey, he might have lost his last two fights. He also got six figures his last two fights. So he's still laughing all the way to the bank. And uh, what makes this trimmer different than all other trimmers is a new multi-function on and off switch can engage a travel lock created for people who like to travel. I mean, guys, the airports are opening back up, and you know you got to be ready for even more opportunities now. Now more than ever. Now, I mean, now more than 2019, right? So the lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn on the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for more precise shade. The new trimmer even allows you to customize the trim all over additional guard lengths with sizes one to four. And looks-wise, it's sleek with a two-tone matte and gloss finish. Even features a hot foil stamp black chrome Manscaped logo. Show that mower off loud and proud. The optimized lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is waterproof, so you can groom in the shower and not have to worry about making a mess on the bathroom floor. Did I mention wireless charging? The lawnmower 4.0 new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help the battery uh, last longer. If you're still trimming your face with your ball trimmer, it, it's time to make some changes, guys. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Battle20 at Manscaped.com. No person wants to end up with pieces in their mouth, and your balls will thank you as well. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code Battle20 at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com, and use code Battle20. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped Shack. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have uh, said it better myself. You definitely don't want pubes around your face. So. <laughs> I mean, what did you think when they sent you that 4.0? I know you were probably wondering, hey, how could, how could this 4.0 be better? But uh, shit, I'm still on, I'm still on my 3.0, man. I haven't even opened my 4.0, but <laughs> we'll get to uh, we'll get to that when the days when the day comes. You know, these guys, uh, these guys come through clutch, and I've been very happy with. Let's go, Manscaped. Use that code Battle20 for 20% off of free shipping. Now, Shaq, let's break down this whole car start to finish because first up in the lightweight division, we got a match between Sean Soriano. He's 14 and 6. He's taking on Christos Diagos, who's 18 and 8. Currently, they got Christos Diagos minus 210. The comeback on Sean Soriano is plus 175. So, Shaq, they're giving Sean Soriano um, another chance to, to get back in the UFC, man. Um, you know, he had his first run six years ago. Now he's back. And the issue with Sean Soriano was always this. Look, I mean, he used to light guys up standing. The guy's got good kickboxing, and then he'd kind of gas out and get choked out. If he's past that just this much, I think he can have some uh, some success here. So I'm wondering what's your opinion on this spot, as well as uh, Christos being uh, minus 210. Well, Sean Soriano, he's usually a featherweight, so you got to make him the underdog regardless. Um, Giagos is a tough guy. I mean, he's big, he's strong, but we know his weakness. He he uh, fades in the late rounds, and he kind of fades pretty badly. But his first round, first round and a half is usually very strong. Um, his only losses as of late are to, you know, Jakar and guys like Charles Oliveira. Um, so, I mean, he's very experienced. Uh, uh, Sean Soriano, it's still kind of been an issue for him, the 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 rear naked choke, the uh, the ground game. I mean, he just lost the fight to Bruce Boyington not too long ago because I it was because uh, he was whooping up on him and then he just like got on the ground and uh, it was in um CES or something like that. So yeah, uh, I think Sean Soriano is probably the more technical striker for three rounds. If Giago's gas is out, maybe he could you know 
steal a decision um, down the stretch. But I honestly think Iagos is just going to be too big, too strong for him. Um, and, and I think he can manage on the feet, not necessarily outland him, but earn uh, Soriano's respect with his power, man. Iagos is a very strong dude. He, he throws big bombs, especially in the first, you know, seven, eight minutes. So I think uh, Iagos is going to come out here, win the first two rounds, and probably drop the last one and win a, a nice little 29-28 decision. So I'm going with Christos Giagos. Yeah, so real quick, these guys are saying they can't hear me. Can you hear me fine, Shaq? No, I, your sound is like I, – I just messaged you in the chat saying uh, right, your on. sound sounds weird. Hold on, let's, let's try something out. What about now? Yeah, now it sounds better. Is that, is that better, y'all? Everybody in the chat, let me know if that's better. Sorry about that, guys. Um, but, uh, someone says they still can't hear me. Let me do a quick uh, refresh. You stay in here, Shaq. I'll be right back. All right. I'm back in. bitch. What's up? Y'all hear me now? Y'all hear me good? What do you think, Shaq? Yeah, sounds better. All right, cool. Perfect. All right, let's get down to business then. So what I was saying about Sean Soriano, in case you all didn't hear me the first time, was that he's a really badass kickboxer. And basically, when he'd lose fights in the UFC back in the day, he'd fuck guys up standing, but then he'd kind of gas out and get choked out. And that actually happened to him a couple times on the regional scene as well. So now it's really a matter of has he fixed that or not, you know, and it's kind of like a similar quality to what you see. And some of his teammates say Michael Johnson, where he'll come out there, blast you standing that first round, kind of gas a little bit, get his back taken one time, and then it's over. The thing about Christos Giagos is not to disrespect someone who's had you know close to 30 pro fights, but I've always considered him more of an athlete than I do. And not, not to say he's not a fighter, because of course he's a fighter. He's had close to 10 UFC fights. But I do question what happens down the stretch as well, not just with Soriano, but with Giagos as well. He does tend to gas out, and he is a bit of a meathead. He kind of relies on his athletic abilities more than he does on his warrior spirit. No disrespect. So I, I'm questioning what happens here down the stretch because historically, Sean's the one that gasses, but Christos is a gasser too, man. So... It's a tough one to call. I honestly think at this price, it might be a dog or pass situation. It's just about has Sean had a full camp? Has Sean truly turned the corner or not? Those are some things I'm questioning. Um, since I'm going back and forth on a line like this, I will take the dog. But um, it, it could be one of those situations where he hasn't fixed the mistakes. Maybe he lights up Christos that first round and then gets choked out in the second round. That, that's what I'm worried about. But I'll go with Soriano uh, as the dog here. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Kevin Aguilar. He's 17 and four, and Tucker Lutz is 11 and one. Currently, they got Tucker Lutz minus 120. The comeback on Kevin Aguilar is plus 100. So, I mean, are we getting uh, quarantine Aguilar here, Shaq? Or, or you think that, you know, he was embarrassed enough by that Charles Oliver, I mean, that Charles Rosa fight to where we're actually going to get a Kevin Aguilar that's in shape this time? Yeah, man. I. I don't know, man, but I, personally, man, I haven't been too high on Aguilar. Um, even when he was like 18, 19, and 1. Um, I think, matter of fact, before he fought Ige or before he fought Tukugov, I, I think I even said, like, I think his record was like 18 and 2. Or, and, and, and I said, uh, Kevin Aguilar strikes me as one of these guys where 
you know, in a few years, I feel like I'm, I'm going to be saying his record's 18 and 7 or 18 and 6, you know, uh, just because, man, the dude's a brawler and and he, his uh, style is just based on him being able to take that shot up front. If he can't take that shot up front or if he's hesitant to take that shot because he doesn't have the same confidence in his chin, he's not a very good fighter, man. Kind of, um, you know, uh, just like other comparisons like James Vick or maybe with, uh, you know, Ferguson later on on the card, you know, once that ability is gone and take the to take a punch, it, they just become, you know, complete shells of themselves. And I'm, I've been seeing a lot of signs with that uh, with Kevin Aguilar. Now, fortunately for him, Tucker Lutz is probably one of the more lesser experienced fighters that he's ever fought, especially in a in a very long time. But even when he had a you know, he fought Tony Kelly when Tony Kelly was like four and oh, and I mean, Kevin Aguilar was still getting clipped with shots. He was still getting wobbled. He gets rocked in just about every fight. Now, Tucker Lutz, there's really nothing special. I just think he's a workman, you know, a solid guy. He can do everything, nothing out the blue. I just think he's a lot more efficient than Kevin Aguilar. Kevin Aguilar's got the power advantage on the hands, but can he defensively, even even if he lands a power shot, what about the power shots that, he, that he's going to take? Tucker Lutz ain't known for his power, but... <coughs> His last fight against um I forget the kid's name, tall black guy on um on um yeah, Sherard Blackledge. He was starting to get to him late. He was starting to eventually hurt him with punches and and low kicks and things of that nature. So look, I am I like in a rush to play Tuck, Tucker Lutz at minus money? No, but I think he's gonna get this one. I think the best days of Kevin Aguilar are behind him. It's getting worse and worse each fight. First, uh, Dan Ige got him. I was there live. I mean, it was a severe beating. Um, I mean, it was it, it got ugly in that third round. Then we go into the Tukuga fight. He gets stopped in the first round. Now he's not pulling the trigger against guys like Charles Rosa, who, quite frankly, only has a sidekick. I mean, he's an Elias fighter, you know. I mean, kid hits off. No offense, but um, and Kevin Aguilar just wasn't. He couldn't get in the pocket like that anymore, man. I think Kevin Aguilar's had enough. I'm going with Tucker Lutz for a decision one. Not that he's about to go on a run, but I think that if we see the Aguilar that first came into the UFC, you know, he was like 16 and one at one point. I think that Tucker Lutz is one of those guys that you can go out there and beat. It's just like you said, you're right. Tucker is one of these workman kind of guys. He's not the most athletic in the world, you know, he's pretty damn good with his kicks. Uh, and he definitely won that last fight, not by being the more athletic guy, but just by putting that pace on him. And it seemed like to me that he was fighting someone that someone with even less experience than him. By the way, your your uh, your sound is messed up again. Are you serious? Yeah. Can you hear me at all? No, it's just like faded. That's weird, man. Um, what about now? Can you hear me at all? No, it's the same. Let's try a different mic. <laughs> what do you What do you think yeah. now? Is yeah. Is it better no, now? Yeah, All right, yeah. Hey, sorry about that, guys. I don't know what the fuck's going on, but just uh, keep giving me updates if uh, you know if shit ain't working. So right now we're good. Yep. All right. So, I mean, basically what I was saying was that you know Tucker was kind of beating up on a kid that was kind of green um, that last fight. 
now he's kind of dealing with someone with more experience than him. It's just about is Kevin coming is Kevin coming in there with that quarantine bod like last time because that was kind of sad, man. I, I like the way he lost to Charles Rosa. I really think that he would have beat him, um, you know, back when he was looking better. So it's just about where's he at right now. I I, I don't know, man. I'm gonna go with Kevin because I'm hoping if he can just look one percent better than he did that last fight, that he can come out here and win this fight, but. It's, it's really tough to say where Kevin's at. I'm going to pick Kevin. It's a pick him, but it could be a dog or pass situation. How am I sounding now, by the way? Um, You know, it's it could be better. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm sorry about this, guys. I don't know what the fuck's going on. I have a great setup, so I, I don't I have no idea. But next up. In the, in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Gina Mazzani. She's seven and four. She's taking on Priscilla Cachoeira, who's nine and three. Currently, they got Gina Mazzani minus two ten. Priscilla's plus one seventy five. Shaq, how you see this one going down? Yeah, um, I'm actually looking forward to this fight too, man, because I, I kind of am a fan of uh, Zombie Girl uh, Cachoeira. Um, even though she's like one in three, I mean, just look at the the competition in that man. Valentina out the gates, which she should have never took, and, and the heart she displayed in that fight. I mean, just look what Valentina's doing to some of these other girls. I mean, you know, she, it, it's getting ugly in some of these Valentina fights. Um, and then you go into the fight with McCann in England, hostile environment, and Luana Carolina, who also has a winning record in the UFC. So <clears throat> she's fought some good. Uh, competition and then we got Gina Mazzani look I've never been high on Gina Mazzani I know she's with Krauss now and I know the whole hashtag Krauss changes lives and and all that good stuff but I mean there's just this is just honestly how I feel about this fight look it it, it could be close to 50 50 I just don't as far as a betting perspective this line just it, it is nonsense man um Gina Mazzani beat Rachel Ostovich Rachel Ostovich is a complete can now I know but Cachoeira also fought a complete can and finished her in less than a minute. So both of these girls, in my opinion, should be riding like a similar wave of momentum. Um, the reason why I'm going to give Cachoeira the edge here, man, I still see, look, there's holes in her striking game too, but I actually think Cachoeira is trying to address them. Um, a, a factor that a lot of people don't know is, you know, she used to train at um, at Jessica Andrade's gym. I forget what the gym's called, but um, with, you know, Carol Rosa and Andrade and, all those girls, but now she actually switched up, man. She left, and on her Instagram post, man, she said, uh, it's no longer going to be me, you know, being the one that's always getting hit. She switched up. She's at Team Figueredo now with Davison and Davison's little brother, Francisco, and she's training with those guys. She's got Davison's uh, striking coach. So I'm interested to see if, like, we're about to see some new Mirajo style stuff from Cachoeira. I mean, is she going to come out with the Davison stance? Is she – you know, I, I I don't know. I'm very interested, but at plus 175, I mean, I don't I don't see how how that isn't the side. Gina Mazzani beat one chick, uh, one girl, Rachel Ostevich. The fight previously, she folded up like a lawn chair. She's folded up like a lawn chair uh, several other times. Cachoeira, in my opinion, just has flat out has more heart. Now Gina's maybe got more tools. She can wrestle. She can her, her hands might be a little bit faster, but. At some point, man, if this is a 15-minute fight, I, I really see Cachoeira testing her heart. And I'm, and I'm not convinced that Gina Mazzani is the type to back to, to stand, you know, stand up and, re and really fight back, man. Um, I think Cachoeira will go out on her shield. She'll take chances. 
Um, I just see this fight. It should be a pick man. I don't see why Gina Mazzani is a two-to-one favorite over anybody, especially Cachoeira. I mean, Cachoeira, she might be one and three, but it's an intense one and three. I mean, she's putting pressure on you. She uh, is taking all your shots. I mean, the taker taking her down is not going to be like Rachel Ostevich, man. Um, so I'm going with Cachoeira, and I'm going to say by vicious knockout down the stretch. I'm going to say uh, in rounds three, she gets to Gina, corners her, and, and I think we see some improved boxing. She got that 50K bonus her last fight, and I, and I think uh, I've been following her in IG, man. I think she invested, uh, invested it very wisely going to Team Figueredo, and, and I think she's going to knock Gina out. All right, before I continue, how am I sounding? Yeah, good. Okay, so I'm I'm not gonna touch anything, okay? Because I don't know what the fuck is going on. But y'all, let me know if I lose sound again. But basically, this is one of those spots I always talk about where we talk about the power versus technique. Not that Gina's some you know technical striker or anything like that. She's more of a wrestler. Um, but but this is low enough level to where that power of Priscilla can make a huge difference. And she goes out there, she swings bombs, and I know Gina Mazzani does not like that. I saw it in the um what's the name of the tall girl from fortis um what's her fucking name chase on oh, oh yeah i saw it in the shaozon fight i saw it in the avila fight and i've seen it in many fights oh the sarah mcmahon fight i've seen it in many fights along the way that you put that pressure on gina and she does not like it at all um the, i guess the big question is and i think the reason why Gina's favored where she is is probably because um, there might be a wrestling edge here for Gina. Maybe maybe she puts Priscilla on her back and she doesn't get up. I, I would assume if you're laying the price on Gina, that's what you want to happen. So if you do, I wish you luck. But I, I think this is one of those spots where power can overcome technique. And I do see her having the kind of power to kind of punk her out. And the line is, you know, a little bit out there. So I'll also agree with you on this one. And I will take uh, Priscilla to get it done. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Andrea Lee. She's 11 and 5. She's taking on Antonina Shevchenko, who's 9 and 2. Currently, they got Antonina minus 125. The comeback on Andrea is plus 105. So, ever since, uh, you know, Andrea and that piece of shit broke up, uh, she's on a massive skid. Uh, you think she gets back on track against uh, the sister Antonina this weekend? You talking about my boy Donnie? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck um. Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um... Man, this is another fight I'm looking forward to because I actually have a stronger take than usual on this one, man. Um, look, I've never been too high on the on big on big sis um, chef on um, Antonina, but man, I think this might be a good spot for her. Um, Andrea Lee, man, these last three fights have been bad and they've gotten worse progressively, in my opinion. And, and I think she was I think she was considerably overhyped when she was on that three fight winning streak, because I, I recall being in attendance for one of those three. And I, I and I wasn't impressed uh, when she fought um, Montana, Montana De La Rosa. And and what I see with Andrea Lee is just. I don't know if it's a health issue, but I just see a big, big cardio problem, man. Um, she's coming out in these fights. She's just pretty much flat foot, flat footed moving forward in the in these boxing changes. And yeah, she's got decent hands, but by the end of the first, you know, by the second round, I mean, Andrea Lee is visibly tired and her poker face is awful. I mean, she's wincing, she's grimacing. Um, 
you know, they want to say the Lauren Murphy fight was a robbery. I, I, I disagree. Um, you know, then we turn into the Roxanne Mata Ferry fight where she's also a big favorite. And I mean, she gassed out again there. Um, and I know Antonina Shevchenko's uh, grappling, you know, the Chukagian fight, and she also lost to Roxanne Mata Ferry. But I, I think she's got like some legitimate excuses. I mean, it was only not like when I say excuses, it was only her second fight in the UFC. She really hadn't fought too many good opponents before she fought Roxanne. And look, I know we joke around about Roxanne, but Roxanne is a good fighter. I mean, I know uh, the top, you know, seven, eight girls like VV and, you know, Jennifer Maya Murphy and all them girls would uh, will easily beat her. But what happens whenever, whenever Roxy fights, you know, the young up and comer, man, she usually teaches them the, the vet lesson. So um, I actually think Shevchenko, I mean, that loss kind of makes more sense as where Andrea Lee had had experience and, and, it, and it was a drop down. I mean, the fact that Roxanne Montefiore wasn't only just getting off on the grappling, in my opinion, she was getting off on some hands as well. So I think Andrea Lee might be, oh man, I hate to say it, but I think she might be knocking on the door in four in a row. I think Antonina Shevchenko, the reason why I think it's a bad matchup for Lee is just she's way more disciplined than all these girls. Um, like Roxanne, I mean, she the openings on the feet were all there for, for Andrea Lee, but she was just too tired or she just was too stuck in the mud, too slow. And I think, like, if he, if she's looking like that out at range against these girls, Shevchenko, man, is going to grab that plum, that clinch, knee her, just be disciplined, frustrator on the outside. You know, you're going to hear Valentina saying the, the A's, the A, A, A. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and I really think that Shev, Shevchenko is going to win an easy decision here, man. Um, Andrea Lee... You know, she beat Ashley Evans-Smith, who we know doesn't really want to fight. She beat Montana De La Rosa, and she beat Veronica Macedo. Like, this chick was severely overhyped the second she went up in competition. I mean, you know, it's gotten worse in my opinion. Like, like I think she's got a big cardio problem. Um, so, yeah, I'm going with um, Shevchenko to honestly kind of dominate her in the clinch. I think she can honestly get the takedowns, too. Like, uh, you know, the Chukagian fight, yeah, she got dominated on the ground, but Andrea Lee's not a a, a John Danaher, you know, jujitsu player. And Andrea Lee, um, I mean, her ground game isn't, you know, I mean, she finds herself on her back multiple times. And what I like is Shevchenko, she lost that fight in that fashion against Chukagian, and she comes back against Lipsky. I know it's Lipsky, but, I mean, it was ass whooping, complete domination. And, I mean, she won that fight on the ground. So I think Coach Pavel and Coach uh, Valentina, man, they, they are making Antonina address this ground game problem. And, and I think – I'm not saying she fully – it's fully, you know, nipped in the butt. But I, I think against these level girls that she can uh, kind of just do work against them, man. So I'm going with Shevchenko, man, to, to get a nice little 30-27 on the cards here. Yeah, look, the reality is Andrea Lee hasn't been the same since uh, what's-his-name left town. You know, he went hiding in the mountains, and she just hasn't been the same. We can say, oh, but, you know, Antonina lost to Roxanne. Yeah, Andrea lost to Roxanne twice, so, I mean, let's not even go there. And the whole thing with Antonina when she's losing these fights is she's getting taken down. But Andrea's a kickboxer, so I think it's two kickboxers going in there, and I think that Antonina's the better kickboxer of the two. So... I mean, I don't got to really get into it. I think the better kickboxer is going to win in a kickboxing match here. So I'm going to go Antonina via 30-27. But like you said, 
that uh, last fight, she showed that, hey, she is, you know, making improvements on her ground game. She did feel like, hey, I got super embarrassed in that Chuk fight. We need to address this. Whereas I'm not sure if Andrea Lee has that same accountability. I mean, we we were in attendance in Greenville, South Carolina, when um, Montana De La Rosa took her back and all these things. And it was just not even these fights that Andrea Lee is winning. It's not it ain't the prettiest, man. So I'm going to also go with Antonina via decision here so real quick we got a question in the chat my boy nick said dan how are you feeling about your boy mike soroka potentially being out for the season obviously that sucks but uh shout out to hosker you know man that's our that's our new stud wanted to get want to tell a quick little story so um a fan of the podcast named jonathan he hit me up in the comments he said i'm gonna be in atlanta you know he's he said this past weekend so i was like all right hit me up so he hit me up we met at the braves game on friday Super cool guy. Shout out Jonathan. And then the next day he came to the NFC fights. Um, so he was out there. He was partying with OSP and Diego Lima. He saw my boy Jamar, the Rockstar Whitehead's pro debut, 48 second knockout for those that missed it. So shout out to Jamar. Uh, it was very nice meeting you, Jonathan. Uh, so shout out to you, man. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a match between Jamie Pickett. He's 11 and five. And Jordan, the Beverly Hills Ninja is 11 and two. Currently, they got the Beverly Hills Ninja minus 115 and Jamie Pickett is minus 105. So low level middleweight fight here, Shaq. It's a pick em with a slight lean on the Beverly Hills Ninja. Uh, which way Which way are you going, man? Man, it's a tough one. Um, definitely not high on either guy, but I'm, I'm, if I had to pick a guy, I got to go with Jamie Pickett. Um, I think he's more physical. He's more physical now. I think he got pushed back too much his last fight, but uh, Beverly Hills Ninja, right, man. Um, I mean, that guy, his last performance against Buckley, that was a little, I don't want to say a head scratcher, but I, I honestly thought he put up a better fight going into that. Um, I was a little surprised uh, at how one-sided it was because um, Buckley did get knocked out his uh, his next fight in the very first round. Um, and I think that uh, – Jamie Pickett's just the more athletic guy, faster, stronger. It's about mental with Jamie Pickett, man. It's just like, you know, it's funny. I actually seen Jamie Pickett fight back at, at Wild Bills, like when he was an amateur. Huh? And he's still and he's still doing some of the same things. But <laughs> but I, I think uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Pickett. I just think he's faster, stronger. Um, I think it'll be a stand-up fight, too. Uh, Beverly Hills Ninja. His chin is chin. Uh, just ask Fluffy Hernandez about his chin. I mean, he, he'll hit that canvas unconscious. That's where, I mean, Jamie Pickett, at least one thing I can say is when Tafan uh, cracked him, you know, he didn't, he didn't get, he, he he survived. I mean, you know, he, every time the ref told him to move, he moved and, you know, he, he, he hung in there. So I'm going to go with uh, Jamie Pickett. I'm going to say by knockout to, to knock out the Beverly Hills Ninja. I mean, look at the Beverly Hills Ninja's two fights. The first one against uh, Ike, I mean, he got, I don't want to say he got gifted a win there, but hey, you cut him, congrats. And, and uh, I'm just not convinced how that fight would have kept going if it would have kept going. And then we go into the Joaquin Buckley fight where I was like, damn, Jordan, I actually thought he was someone live going into that and he got uh, he got steamrolled. So um, I'm going with Jamie Pickett. You know, I ain't picking the Beverly Hills Ninja to, to win a UFC fight, Shaq. Come on now. I mean, look, the thing with Jamie Pickett is, uh, you know, you can punk him out. It's just the issue is the Beverly Hills Ninja isn't punking out a damn thing. So this I mean, is yeah, that. It's like, it's like, why would you ever be scared of a Beverly Hills Ninja? <laughs> <laughs> All you got to do is put on that Anthony Fluffy Hernandez fight. And, and if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know, then I don't know what will, man. And look, 
This is the fight where Jamie Pickett can get his UFC win. This might be his only UFC win ever, but this will be his UFC win. So congrats, man. You'll always be able to tell your friends and family that you got your arm raised one time in the UFC. So shout out to Beverly Hills Ninja for, you know, he's probably going to take a knee in this one, man. He's probably going to go down. Look, he actually does have some nice spinning techniques. It's just that chin gets touched. You know, the fight starts getting real. Not that Pickett is the toughest, but. I think Pickett's got enough to get this one done, so I'm going to go with Pickett here. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Mike Grundy, or as we like to say in the UK, Shaq, Grundy, he's 12-2. and two. He's taking on Lando Venata, who's 11-5-2. Currently, they got Mike Grundy, minus 125. The comeback on Lando Venata is plus 105. So, um, can you hear me, first of all? Yep. Okay, cool. So, basically, I... Uh, Lando's dropping a featherweight for this fight. Um, so that should be interesting to see how he looks. You know, he was always kind of small for lightweight. But I guess that does mean that he does have to put in some cardio, some extra cardio work to get down that way. So he's going to probably be in the best shape of his life. The issue with Lando Venata is he comes out heavy that first round, tends to slow down in a lot of these fights. And you start to slow down against a guy like Grundy. I think he can push that pace on you. I mean, he's a guy that took down evloev like six times and he had a deep ass darts choke on evloev that i think would have submitted a lot of people but you know evloev's the kind of warrior that he's i don't know how he stayed calm and and got himself out of there but he did somehow i'm not convinced other men can do the same thing i think this is a good spot for grundy to come out here and get a signature win in the ufc man just by pushing a heavier pace i know that his volume ain't exactly the best but i like how he mixes in those takedowns and i just like his pressure I, he does hit kind of hard too um, look, if it turns into a kickboxing match, I definitely think that Lando's got a chance. And also, Lando is a D1 wrestler. Maybe he can keep it standing. But it seems like every fight that he's been taken down at least once, he, he seems to not win. So uh, I have a feeling Grundy's going to be landing takedowns here. So I, I'm, I'm going to go with Grundy to win a decision here, Shaq. Yeah, this is, uh, this is honestly one of the more tougher fights for me to call because – I, you know, Lando, he's had his, you know, his, his little skit at 55. He's only beat Yancey Medeiros. And, um, but, man, I'm not going to lie. I think this is a bigger a bigger drop in competition than people realize. Um, look, I think Grundy's good, but he kind of strikes me as a guy that just, you know, I think the the prime of his career is like now or never, basically. Um, and, and that's the thing I'm questioning is, you know, people are talking about Lando's cardio and, and his volume, I'm, I'm talking about Grundy's cardio and his volume, you know, uh, he's more, he's a muscular guy too, that fades in the late rounds, in my opinion, um, and I really wasn't that impressed with this fight against Nat Naramani, I know he knocked him out, but he got rocked right before that, right before he uh, dropped Nat, and Nat Naramani is a guy that's probably not going to be in the UFC for, you know, too much longer, and then you got um, his fight with Mazwar, yeah, uh, Mazwar stuck his neck in some chokes. I don't know why Mazwar does that so much, but um, he, uh, I mean, he completely gassed out. I mean, he wasn't throwing any punches down the stretch. So um, watching the tape on Mike Grundy, I, I was coming into this saying, oh, Lando's probably done. But then I was watching Grundy and I was like, oh, man. And I think he's like, in terms of experience, he's definitely fought some guys, but in, uh, in comparison to Lando, man, I just think Lando's been in a lot more real situations. A lot better fighters have been in front of him. Bobby, the Bobby Greens, the T. Fergs, the McDessies, the, I mean, Lando, is, uh, he might have not won the Dia Casey's, but I mean, the, the caliber fighter that he was up against, I mean, Mike Grundy, in my opinion, is nowhere near that level. Um, 
so man, honestly, I've actually been following Lando. I've been seeing him uh, on Instagram running them hills, man. I've been seeing him in Albuquerque running the mountains. I'm a little curious, like maybe, maybe this because I mean the drop to 45, he has to run. So maybe this uh, cardio it might be a little bit better, or you know, just slightly better. But I'm not convinced Grundy's got like so much better cardio than him, man. Um, so I'm actually gonna go with Venata to knock Grundy out here at some point. Um, I think that. Grundy's striking. He is. He only throws one shots at a time. Um, I could. I could. I could see Lando timing something. You know, probably picking up on his on his timing on his range a little bit quicker. Um, I think Grundy's honestly more alive for a knockout. I don't think. He, I. I don't see the wrestling path per se, but I think he's more alive for a knockout than than wrestling. Like you said, Lando is a D one wrestler, even though he did quit. But shout out to Grundy, man. He's the best wrestler in the UK. I mean, you don't see too many dudes from England hitting blast doubles like that. So, um, you know, I, I got a lot of respect for him. But I'm going to go with Lando Venata for the knockout. Win. Hey, times are changing, man. He's, uh, you know, we used to call Leon Edwards the premier D1 wrestler from the UK. But I know Grundy, he's got those credentials. So let's see what happens. Next up in the middleweight division, this should be fun. We got... Ronaldo Jacare Souza, he's 26 and 9. He's taking on Andre Muniz, who's 20 and 4. Currently, they got Ronaldo Jacare Souza minus 115, and Andre Muniz is minus 105. So you got two badass jujitsu players going at it. Obviously, Ronaldo is the more well rounded guy. He has knocked people out. It's just he might be towards the tail end of his career, man. That last fight against Holland is, you know, it's not just what happened. It's also look at Holland's next two fights. People were able to hold him down, keep that co uh, top control on him. That kind of lets me know that maybe, maybe Jacare's seen better days. And I know someone's gonna be like, "Well, his fight prior, he went to split with Jan Blahovich." I was like, "Yeah." Uh, they, <laughs> firstly, that wasn't a split, but secondly, like um, I wasn't saying he was done in 2019. I'm saying he's done in 2021. So that was like the last, the last ditch effort he had, and now he's kind of, you know, he's seen better days, man. Um. So this is tough because to pick someone to submit Jacare Souza, which has never been done. I mean, Jacare back in the day, this is a guy that submitted Musasi, submitted Alexander Shlomenko, submitted Robbie Lawler. He's beat a lot of world champions in MMA. So he's got all my respect. Um, I just think that, you know, he's 42 years old by now or something like that. And Andre Muniz is no, no slouch on the mat at all. He's not scared to go to the ground with Jacare. And if Kevin Holland is having success on bottom, I'm very curious to see what Andre Muniz does. Just based off where they're at in their respective careers, I got to go with Andre Muniz in this spot. I think if they fought a couple years ago, that Jacare would have an edge. I mean, Jacare knocks people out, knocked Brunson out, knocked Weidman out. He's fought better people. I mean, like I said, submitted Musasi, submitted Schlemenko, like all, all these great fighters. But that last fight let me know that, hey, it's probably over now. So, and even the Jack Hermanson fight, let me know that as well. So, I'm gonna go with Andre Muniz here uh, to to shock a lot of people, despite the line being close. Yeah, um, I haven't been too high on Jackeray lately. I've been high on Muniz. Muniz hasn't really fought anybody, but uh, I mean, this is gonna be his first uh, big fight. You know, Antonio Arroyo and Fabinski probably won't be in the U.S. I mean, Fabinski just got cut yesterday, so that's already one. And Arroyo. Uh, Let's see if he can beat uh, Tom Breeze. I, I heard that's his next fight. So let's see. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming Arroyo is going to be out of here as well. So, look, there is some <laughs> – there is some um, – there is some 
I mean, one could say, I mean, Jacare's got the experience. I mean, he's fought way better competition, um, all that good stuff. But they were kind of saying that going into a, 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 a few of his last fights. And what I don't like about Jacare is just the ability to face uh, adversity. Now, I know he faced uh, Chris Weidman, but, man, there was something that happened before that Hermanson fight where I just didn't like the things that he was saying. You know, before the Hermanson fight, he was saying that, oh, if they don't give me a title shot um, – you know, I, I, I'm going to retire. And I think his head was so focused on that, that, I mean, we saw how that night when he was getting rocked by punches against Jack Hermanson, no offense to Jack, but Jack ain't known for his boxing, Daniel. Um, and then uh, we got, uh, you know, these fights with Jan Blakovich where on paper it says split decision, but, uh, you know, uh, as far as I'm, I thought Jan beat him without even trying to be honest, I thought Jan was in first gear all night, just wanted to use the jab and, and uh, I had it four rounds to one, but hey, it was in Brazil. They scored it for him. Um, and then the Kevin Holland fight just wasn't good. Look, I've I've kind of been hinting for a while that I think Jacare's slightly overrated black belt, especially at this age, just because I've seen him at least within the last like three four years. I've seen him in the first round, fresh, fully mounted on guys with purple belts, and he slipped off or. He couldn't maintain the position. Uh, you know, I'm going to attribute it more to the age and, you know, maybe he just can't move those bones the way he once did. But, I mean, yeah, he, he tapped out Musasi, Shamenko, and um, Robbie Lawler. But, you know, I, I just think his black – especially right now, I think his jiu-jitsu game is going to be overrated. I think he's more alive for a, for a knockout here. I think the more he grapples, is just the more it's going to tire him out. Um and then his muscles are just going to be completely stiff. But, man, it's going to be tough to say because we haven't seen Muniz against anybody, you know, anybody relevant. We haven't really seen him against anybody. I mean, Antonio Arroyo stood on top, was standing on top of Muniz for minutes at a time just standing there. I was like, is he going to do anything or is he going to like or is he just going to sit there? And, man, Antonio Arroyo is something else. But, um I'm going to go with Muniz. I, I just think that, like you said, the way things are trending, that Jacare at 40, was he 41 too, um, at this, uh, at this age is the durability is a big concern. Um, he just got knocked out from, from Kevin, Kevin Holland was on bottom and it just wasn't a good look. Like I just thought he was struggling to control him. I mean, he's just old man. Um, I think Muniz can attack off his back. Um, and, and don't sleep on Muniz's jujitsu, man. I, I looked, uh, I did my research online. Like Muniz is, is quite the jujitsu guy down there in Brazil as well. I don't know if if he's got as many medals as uh, Jacare, but he's got a shit ton of medals himself. So uh, I wouldn't sleep on his jujitsu. I know this is a fight the the jujitsu people have been looking forward to for a while. So I'm gonna go with Andre Muniz to just kind of be younger, fresher, um, and more so Jacare just kind of running in trouble himself just due to his age and his durability and. And, and I think that it's hard for him at this age to, to like really bite down and, and, and really break someone at, at this stage. I think that he's very breakable right now. So I'm going to go with uh, Andre Muniz to, to just win a decision probably. There is a, there is a, a 10 year age gap in that fight. We're dealing with 41 versus 31. So let's see. I mean, I, I noticed the younger grapplers and you gotta be a certain level of course, but you know, I think Muniz is a serious black belt too. So I'm very curious to see these grappling exchanges. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Shane Burgos. He's 13 and two, and Edson Barboza is 21 and nine. Currently, they got Shane Burgos minus 140. The comeback on Edson Barboza is plus 120. 
I mean, Shaq, they're either going to stand and bang until one man falls or it's going to be a three-round war, going to be fight of the night. Uh, how you see this one playing out? You favor, you know, the boxing of Burgos or, or the kicking of Barboza. And I say that Barboza don't, don't sleep on his hands either. Yeah, this is a good fight. Um, Burgos had an incredible last fight. His fight with Josh um, was amazing. And and I kind of I kind of been a little too harsh on Shane, man, because after I watched that fight, I mean, I, I – I've been on the record to say I think Emmett's the hardest hitter in the division, and I hope Emmett comes back from this recovery because I think he had the uh, the cruise problem with his surgery, um, so he's got to like do rehab again or some shit like that. But um, I, I, man, Edson, big fan. I mean, you know, Edson, the spinning wheel kick over Terry Edom, the Dariush KO. I mean, he's gotten. He's got a, a. I mean, we know Edson Barbosa. He's known for his vicious flash knockouts and. And to be honest, man, I think that's the only thing Shane Burgos needs to be worried about is just getting flash knocked out. But to say that Shane Burgos is chinny, look, you could, you could, you can make that case. But at the same time, we're talking about Josh Emmett, and the way Josh Emmett set him set him up for those knockdowns, I think is going to go under the radar. Like Emmett has dudes so scared of that right hand against Burgos, he was just faking that right hand and then switching stance and then coming with the left. It was, those was just hats off to Josh. Like, but I honestly thought hot take that you can make a case that Burgos won the first two rounds. I mean, Burgos, one thing I respect, which I think this is a, a bad matchup for Edson in the sense, like Burgos does not stop working. He does not stop moving forward. He is always throwing. He's always fainting. He's always making his opponent work, and we know that's Edson Barboza's weakness. Edson does not like to work. Look, Edson's going to be live for the for the big, you know, flash KO in the early rounds, but you know Edson Barbosa, um, no offense, is not the toughest guy in the world. We know that Edson Barbosa's chin is not the best in the world, and, I, and even though he, he looked good against Maquan, what I didn't like was after the beating Maquan took those first two rounds, Edson arguably loses that third round because he's so tired. And it's like he fell apart against Paul Felder in the third round. He fell apart against uh, – he let Amir Khani win that uh, round on two cards. Then you go to the Dan Ige fight. Dan Ige straight up out-hustled him. I mean, these guys are slower than Edson. Look, Edson, if he can if he can catch Shane with something – and I don't, honestly, he's throwing less and less spins. Um, I think he's getting a little older, like – I, I I think more he's more so live with the hand uh, boxing knockouts than he is with the kicks these days. Like I think the kicks is just taking a lot of energy out of him. And I honestly see Shane Burgos walking Edson down and breaking him. And I think that like you know Edson's going to be live for the knockout in the first in the first round. But I think by the end of the first, that forward pressure and just that ability to just keep working, you know, keep making him exchange, keep making him be on the defense is just going to suck out that gas tank of Edson and. Eventually, Shane will land something in the in the title turn, and I, and I see Burgos just kind of dominating those last two rounds. So I'm going with Shane Burgos to I'll say 29-27 decision. Um, I you know I think the last round will probably be like a 10-8 or something like that, and then um and then he'll move on in the featherweight division. I just think Edson Barbosa's best days are behind him. I mean the blueprint is out there to beat him. It's forward pressure. It's a high work rate. And, and I think that Shane Burgos actually does have a chin, man. I mean, some of the shots he was eating. I mean, I've seen what Emmett does to certain some other guys when he hits them with those shots. Um, they don't move. So um, I think he does have a chin. Um, so, yeah, I'm going with Shane Burgos.
<laughs> when he TKOs people, they get back up. <laughs> what was that shit Jeremy Stevens was saying? Yeah, so <laughs> I feel you there. You know, Jeremy actually knocked out Josh Emmett, but, uh, you know, no one's exempt from that. Uh, oh, I was going to say first L. First L at featherweight because, uh, you know, my boy Desmond Green beat him. But back to this fight. So you talk about that high work rate. I'm glad you did because Shane Burgos' last three fights, he landed 128 uh, significant strikes against Josh Emmett, 105 against Maquan, and 134 against Cub Swanson. So right away, we know he's got the work rate necessary to compete with a guy like Edson Barbosa because, like you said, the way to beat Edson, you got to put that pressure on him. And the thing about Shane, it's nonstop going forward. Now, my only concerns with Shane is the same concern I've had throughout his entire career. He fights with his hands down. And, you know, Edson, Edson can bang, man. Edson, obviously, he's got some of the best kicks in the history of the sport. I think his hands are underrated as well. So that's that's just what you got to be worried about when you're laying chalk on Shane is that, look, you're fighting with your hands down. You're fighting a serious striker. Aside from that, though, I think Shane Burgos has a very good chin. I know he got dropped his last two fights, and I know Cater knocked him out, but I, I still think he's got a solid chin. Don't Also, don't sleep on the kicks of Shane, man. He's got some underrated kicks as well. He does come from that Tiger Shulman gym. So, you know, he's training with well-rounded kickboxers there. He's fucking huge for 45s. We talk about Edson dropping down. I mean, it's actually, uh, they actually have similar height and reach. They're both 5'11 with a 75-inch reach. Shane's the younger guy here. Um, so two big boys going at it in the featherweight division. You know, I've always wondered how Shane made featherweight, man. He's fucking massive. I could see him ending his career at lightweight, but that consistent forward pressure and that output is what should get to Barboza. It's just about, you know, not getting chopped down with calf kicks. I don't see that happening though. I mean, I think that Shane's got good distance. I think he's got some kicks of his own that you shouldn't sleep on. Um, but they're getting they're gonna get into a stand and bang fight, and Edson's always got a chance in one of those fights. So if someone comes in on Edson, I understand why. However, I gotta go with Burgos here because of the pressure, the output, and the nonstop forward pressure. And I think he's the more durable guy. Even though he's been dropped, I think the shots he got dropped with were bombs, whereas I've seen Edson Barboza get dropped with jabs back in the day and just get out hustled in that Ige fight. Like, even though some of us live thought he won the first two rounds, the way he lost that third round. He slowed down big time, man, and you don't want to slow down against a guy like Shane Burgos who's consistently going to go forward. So I'm going to go with Shane Burgos. Probably decision here, but I could see a late stoppage as well. Now, next up uh, in the flyweight division, we got the perennial number one contender, Caitlin Chukagan. She's 15-4. She's taking on VV Araujo, who's 10-2. and two. Currently, they got Caitlin Chukagan minus 140. The comeback on VV Araujo is plus 120. So, I mean, I, I got to know, man. Do you think uh, my girl VV is about to get chuked here? Or do you think uh, she can come out here with that that power, that athleticism, that explosiveness, and uh, get the biggest win of her career? Yeah. Um, Chukagan, you know, we already know what's coming. I mean, same old Chuk. Um gonna come with the with the sounds um but at the same time man i'm gonna give her some credit because i don't want to say that she this whole she hits air thing is a myth but it i mean it kind of is man um because some of these girls the way she was the way cynthia calvillo's face looked at at the end of that i mean that didn't that didn't look like air punching to me um <laughs> or the way uh joanne calderwood's face looked after that fight definitely didn't look like uh air punching i mean faces were noses were broken you know blood uh blood was everywhere so um as far as this fight man this is i think one of chukagian's tougher 
tougher, like non top tier fights. You know, she's not the top tier. I consider the Valentinas and Drages, Rose, you know, Wiley, all of them. And then you got um, Chukagian, who I feel like is in that next tier. Um, so Viviani, I mean, physically speaking, she's faster than Chukagian. She's more, she's more powerful in my opinion. Um, she's got, I mean, Vivi can do it all. The only, the big issue with Vivi is the, is the gas tank. And um, can that cardio hold up in time for her to win two rounds? Like Chukagian's range and distance gives a lot of these girls problems, but Cynthia Calvillo, I mean, is Cynthia Calvillo known for her strike? Cynthia Calvillo, for some reason, always thinks she's an MMA boxer, and then she starts getting touched up. And I think they rushed that. That line was just wacky. I think everyone wrote Chukagian off because she lost to Andraj, and Cynthia beat Jessica I. Or, uh, Jessica I might be completely done, man. Um, I think that line was just completely wacky. And and then, um, but VV, man, look, I thought she could have looked better against Roxanne. There was definitely some signs that still say the cardio still might be a, a concern, but a part of me also feels like Roxanne, she probably felt completely unthreatened, and it was just more of a 15-minute workout as where, um, you know, the Montana De La Rosa fight, I mean, I was somewhat blown away by that. I mean, I thought the footwork, the cardio, the, the way she was throwing some, some of those bonds, I feel like if that version of VV shows up, I actually think she's a live underdog. I think Chukagin's a completely different fighter when she's getting pressed and when she's moving forward. Um, when girls sit back at range, well, we already know what's going to happen. They're about to get chooped up, but if you come at her and, and move forward and bring the fight to her, she does not like it, even dating back to the Liz Carmouche fight or the um, Jessica I fight back in the day. When you come forward on Chukagian, her chin pops up in the air. Her takedown defense ain't the best. Um, it's just that when you sit back, I mean, she's going to pick you apart. So I think it's a 50-50 fight. I think VV could get takedowns. I think she can land big overhand rights on Chukagian. It's just a matter of, how long can she do it before she gets tired? Look, she's going to get tired at some point. She she gets tired a lot. Um, it's just a matter of can she win the first two rounds or before she starts huffing and puffing? Um, we'll see. I think it's a, a close to a 50-55, maybe slightly lean Chukagian, just slightly, but I'm still skeptical on Chuke, man, um, in terms of just, you know, where she's going from here. Um, you know, I know she's mentioned – retirement, even though I think the public took that a little bit too seriously. Um, I mean, we just know that she, VV is going to be more hungrier in my opinion. So I'm, um, I'm going to take VV for a close split decision win, but um, it wouldn't shock me if it went the other way, but I think this might be a good time to fade Chuk. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, the issue with fading Chuk is it's so easy to underestimate her and then she goes out there and just I don't know if outworking is the right term, but she's got away with those judges, man. And whether it's the tennis sounds, I mean, even it, it's not that she's throwing at air all the time. It's that even when she doesn't land, she's still making sounds and the judges hear that and those points start to add up. And also she's got a little sneaky ground game to go along with it. I would say, you know, Vivian, I love her footwork. I love her explosiveness. I love her power. Just, you know, visually speaking, I enjoy watching Vivian Araujo fight a lot more. Um, her style is badass. It's just, you know, again, that gas tank like you were talking about. Now, I personally thought those last two fights were a big step in the right direction, man. I felt like she learned her lessons from that Jessica I fight. 
And I felt like she really put it on Montana and Roxanne. And now she's ready for this big test. Um, I'm curious to see if she passes it. Look, I'm going to pick Vivi as well. I, I, I do think it's a dog or pass situation. It's just the thing that worries me is the thing that worries me in any Chukagan fight is getting chuked. You know, it's it's one of those uh, things that tends to happen a lot. But I'm going to go with Vivi here. I think that when she lands that, I think Chuk's going to be feeling those shots. I think that Vivi can go forward the whole time. It's just, you know, don't start huffing and puffing by that seven-minute mark, and there's a good chance you win this fight. So I'll go with Vivi at the dog price as well. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Matt Schnell, he's 15 and 5, and Rogerio Bontorin is 16 and 3. Currently, they got Matt Schnell minus 160. The comeback on Rogerio Bontorin is plus 140. So, you know, Matt Schnell is actually a really damn good fighter, man. Uh, the only issue with him is, you know, his chin ain't exactly the best. I've seen, not, not to call them soft shots, but I've seen him knocked out by things that I, I'm pretty confident other people in the weight class would walk through. Aside from that, I can't really criticize him much, man. He's got a nice point fighting style. He switches his stances. He's got a little sneaky ground game to go along with it. So I think Matt Schnell's a pretty damn well-rounded guy. He's got good volume. I, I like Matt Schnell. Uh, with Rogerio Bontorin, he's more of an explosive guy here he's going to be one the one throwing the big bombs and possibly he could catch the chin of chanel also he's got some good jujitsu as well that last fight with kai car france he was dominating kai car france until uh you know he got off the back and then he got knocked out and that wasn't too long ago man like that was actually pretty damn recently that was in in march so i'm curious if he's recovered from that concussion because i mean he he, he face planted man and I would think that, you know, two months, you know, you need a little more than two months to recover from that. Listen, I'm not a doctor. Maybe I'm way off. Maybe he comes out here, takes the back of Chanel. Maybe he knocks Chanel out. But I was kind of, you know, if, if Bontorin was one of my guys, I'd want him to take more time off. So I'm going to go with Matt Chanel here to outwork a Rogero Bontorin and win this decision. It's just don't get caught. If he doesn't get caught, I think he wins this fight. I'm going to go Matt Chanel here via decision. Um. Yeah, it's a tough one just because I think the line's a little bit wacky. <laughs> but, uh, look, I was kind of leaning Schnell, maybe just not by that margin. Um, I think what he I think he looked good his last fight. But at the same time, Tyson Nam is a, is a statue that doesn't move his head. And, you know, Tyson Nam's lost, like, I don't know how many decisions. Um, I mean, Tyson Nam is known for losing decisions. And so uh, I think. Look, I think it's a little – it could possibly be a little bit of recency bias here just because everyone's down on Bontarine. His last two fights have been complete shit. Um, but at the same time, Schnell does not have bombs like Kai Car France. Um, but Schnell is a good point fighter. He's probably the more well-rounded fighter here. It's just mm, – I don't want to pay that price for it. I, I would, uh, I am going to pick Chanel for the win. I just think Bontarine's cardio would probably fade down the stretch. But I think that as far as a betting perspective, these are like the spots where I kind of, I don't want to say this is a trap. I'm not saying that this is a trap spot, but this is like where the, the recency bias spot where everyone's down on, um, on bon, on Bontorin, um, for, I mean, look for, right reasons obviously but match now let's not forget the fight before this the pantoja fight i mean that was a borderline suicide mission and then we uh and then in some of his other fights like you were saying you know you, you've seen him get knocked out with some pretty soft stuff so um i'm gonna go with Schnell to kind of keep his distance jab him 
make him work, make Bontarin get tired, or maybe Bontarin just gasses out himself after a back take. But Bontarin is kind of that basic mummy Brazilian. Um, good, good early, but the second they get tired, uh, things fall apart. So um, I'm going to go with Match now for a, a close decision win. Co-main event of the evening, we got the former interim champ, Tony Ferguson. He's 25-5. and five. He's taking on the number five ranked Benil Dariush, who's 20 and four. Currently, they got Benil Dariush minus 175. The comeback on Tony Ferguson is plus 155. So, obviously, you know, a year or two ago, this line would have been flipped, but, you know, this is now. This is not then. Tony's definitely seen better days. And Benil, you know, I, I, every time I break down a Benil fight, I always talk about how in 2016, I thought he was the number five guy on planet Earth when he beat Michael Johnson, went through some hard times. Picked himself back up. Now he's on a six-fight win streak. And when you talk about, you know, have you earned the opportunity to fight a guy like Tony Ferguson? Do you have the experience? Well, I mean, Tony Ferguson's got 15 UFC wins. Benil's got 14 UFC wins. So I think Benil's got the experience to hang with anyone in this division. It's just with Benil, he's one of these guys that he's got this Terminator killer be killed style. He's going to go forward. He fights with his balls. I mean, he gives no fucks whatsoever. He doesn't care about playing it safe. And that that's why, you know, when you're laying a price like this, you just got to, you know, kind of understand that Benil, you know, he might get caught or he might gas out because he goes so damn hard for that finish. Um, however, if he does not get caught and he does not gas out, I can see him actually dominating this fight. Look, Tony Ferguson, I, I know Shaq's going to talk about the validity of his win streak. Um, and I, I thought he was legit at one point, man. I mean, when, when you beat RDA the way he did back when he did, that was RDA one fight removed from a title. I thought he was pretty legit. It's just that now Tony's almost 40 years old and he hasn't really fixed some of these errors in his game. He hasn't really cleaned up a lot of things. I mean, the things we love about him is you drop him. He's going to get back up and throw some intense stuff at you. And on the mat, he's got that funky jujitsu game to go along with it. It's just that we haven't really seen too much evolution. And now he's getting kind of older. Maybe he's not as durable as he once was. And that last fight against Charles Dubronx, I mean, maybe it's a case of Charles Dubronx paid his dues and he's ready to become a world champion. But also, I'm under the impression that a couple of years ago, Tony would have had a little bit more fight in him. And he, even in the physical side of things, I know that even Danny Castillo held him down in that third round back in the day. But like those first two rounds, like Danny had to go through shit to get to that point. Charles didn't have to go through anything. And I think it's cons it's consistently been getting worse. And I think it all started off with whatever that surgery was when he like tripped over the wire. He just hasn't looked as good since, man. I mean, like the Anthony Showtime Pettis fight as a fan, it was great to watch. But when we're talking about, you know, potentially fighting for a title, you, you don't want to see a guy that's getting dropped, rolling around all over the place. The Cowboy Cerrone fight was kind of close until that eye swelled shut. And then the Gaethje fight, I mean, that's one of those fights where obviously you respect, you know, such a true warrior to take all those shots. But, you know, then you're kind of concerned. He ate so many clean shots that, like, how do you come back from that? Well, the way he came back from that looked like a diminished version of himself, and he got dominated not just on the feet, not just – he got dominated in every facet of mixed martial arts that last fight. And then you question his training situation. You know, his head coach was Cisco Rivera. And now I heard he did some some work with, uh, you know, Coach Freddie Roach. So maybe his hands are a little sharper, but I think it might be a little too little too late. It's just here's the thing. Benil, the, the way that Benil fights, uh, Benil does leave openings because you fight with that killer be kill style. 
And Benil does not play it safe at all. So there will be openings for Benil to get caught. And maybe Tony does catch him. I understand people see a price like this on Tony Ferguson wanting to play him. But if he doesn't land that kill shot, I really do think that Benil will be able to mix in takedowns like people have been able to do to Tony in the past. I think that Benil will avoid the submissions. I mean, Benil is a very credentialed jujitsu black belt. You guys can't forget about that. Back before he was in the UFC, he was like an up-and-comer on the jujitsu scene. He was out there with Crone Gracie on the mats, and that was like a big deal back in the day. But he's also got that knockout power, too. He's knocked people out with one punch. He's got heavy kicks. I think Benil's at a point where he's putting it together. It's just, um, you know, you got to worry about the same shit you always got to worry about with Benil. Um, that chin, that gas tank. You know, uh, Tony did have a good moment against Gaethje at the end of round two. Um, now, granted, they were both going for uppercuts, I believe, and, and Tony landed first. Um, so th there's always things to worry about with Benil. But at the end of the day, I do think that he's at the right spot right now mentally, physically, to come out here and dominate a guy like Ferguson who is on his way out and who has seen better days. And you know, I love Tony Ferguson, but um, I, I don't see this ending well. And I actually think things are going to get worse. And I hope he doesn't go down the Diego Sanchez path. But he's he's always been you know, that kind of crazy guy. But we loved him because he was so good. But now he's that crazy guy on his way out. And I, I've never seen these stories end well. So I'm going to go with Benil Darius to get this one done here. Um, yeah, this is a, a good fight because, man, Darius is one of the harder fighters for me to call his fights because, man, when I watch him, I see a lot of openings for him getting knocked out. Um, and, oh, man, I mean, look, this last fight against, because, uh, you know, the other ones are pretty much quick finishes against kind of guys on their way out, it's like Holtzman and Camacho, Jakar. Um, I mean, spectacular finishes for sure. But, uh, man, I definitely still see – I mean, his last fight he got tired. It's just Diego Ferreira couldn't stop the takedowns, which kind of led me into passing on Diego Ferreira this past weekend because, I, man, I honestly thought that Darius was huffing and puffing by the middle of the second. I mean, and Diego just couldn't stay up off his back, so props to Darius for digging deep and, and getting those takedowns. Um, but, man, Ferguson, bro, I, I think I've always – look, I respect him. I think he's one of the – better lightweights of all time 100 percent you know look when i say these things this is just based off the public perception of him i just never thought i've never thought he's been as good as the public perceives him you know how you were talking about that rda fight and how, you know how he beat rda this and that look i hate to discredit wins but that was my boy that was the cloudiest spot in rda's rda's career i mean he had just got knocked out against eddie alvarez he just left rafael cordero he died in this almost died in the sun of the day before like it was perfect timing for tony ferguson and it wasn't like he i mean the fight was 48 to 47 so like you know it was a it was a good fight but i'm not discrediting his win but you know, I, I think there was some factors going up against RDA. He did go to 170 right after that. So, um, look, he won his interim title of beating Kevin Lee. Not his fault. I mean, Kevin Lee was probably the only guy available at the time. But at the same, it is what it is. He won an interim title of beating Kevin Lee. I mean, <laughs> it, is, it is what it is. And the reason why I've been skeptical about this number one status that he had for so long, I mean, should the number one guy in the world be getting dropped and wobbled all over the place by a debutant Lando Venata all those years ago? I mean, uh, I was, I was skeptical back then. I, I just never really saw it. Then once he had the injury, um, 
the Pettis fight, he looked just very sloppy. Same thing with the Cerrone fight. So I've actually faded Tony Fergus in the last two fights. Um, granted, they were at way better prices than they are this weekend, but that's expected just because, I mean, the last two have been complete domination. Um, Justin Gaethje, absolutely dominant, plus 175. Charles Oliveira, plus 150. Um, granted, I, I definitely do consider those guys a caliber above Dariush, but these things don't get better. They get worse. Tony Ferguson mentally, man, I don't know. That guy, there's a lot of things going on in that head, and I feel like for a long time the fans kind of inflated his ego up a bit. I mean, I remember this guy cutted weight um, before the Gaethje fight for no reason, and people were, like, saying it was a cool, badass thing, and I was sitting there talking to myself like, um... Yeah, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. I mean, half the shit Tony says is just dumb. And and like, yeah, I am gonna call, you know, you know, he, he the boogeyman, this and that, he breaks all this stuff. Well, it's a big whoop to to break Anthony Pettis, it's a big whoop to break Cowboy Cerrone and Kevin Lee and and, and uh Edson Barbosa and all these guys. Yeah, they were spectacular wins, but let's not act like them dudes ain't been broken several times before. And so I just always thought it, the he's a good fighter, but I just never thought he was number one. But um, so yeah, I'm gonna go with Darius. A betting perspective, I think it's a honestly stay away from. I just don't like that price on Darius, but he's the guy that's trending upwards. Tony's trending downwards. Um, but you kind of have to pay minus one seven. What is it? Seventy five, one eighty, something like that to uh, to find out. And I do think it, it's a step down from um, Charles and, and Justin. And I still see signs of Dar Darius gassing out. It's just, man, every time I bet against Darius, she usually wins. So, um, I, you know, I'm not betting Tony Ferguson. I think Tony Ferguson is borderline unbettable, but we'll, we'll see. Um, I'm going to go with Darius, but I'm going to say, I mean, Denzel, I, I feel you, but like, Trust me, Denzel, I don't think you really would have wanted to see that fight. Um, I mean, Kevin Lee fully mounted him and, and was smashing him before he got tired. I mean, what do you think Khabib would have done? Khabib honestly didn't even need to take him down. I mean, Khabib could have stood with him and, and just boxed him too. But, hey, that's just my opinion. Um, but, yeah, I'm going with Darius. But I'm going to say by a, 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 a fight of the night war, like back and forth fight. Denzel, I mean, look, I actually really wanted to see that fight back in the day, too. Um, and it had that feel to it, you know, the two top guys. But based off how events have played out since then, I think it, you know, looking back at it on it in hindsight, I think it probably would have been a domination for for Habib, like a, a, ba a bad domination. Like, I think he would have beat the shit out of him. Main event of the evening for the vacant lightweight title. Speaking of Habib, he vacated his belt. Very nice of him. Retires 29 and 0. That's some goat shit right there. We got Charles Dubronx Oliveira. He's 30 and 8. He's taking on Mike Chandler, who's 22 and 5. Currently, they got Charles Dubronx minus 125. The comeback on Mike Chandler is plus 115. So Listen, man, both these guys have paid their dues to the max. I mean, Charles Oliveira, I remember when he first came into the UFC against Darren Elkins, against Efrain Escudero. Then all of a sudden, he's fighting Cowboy Cerrone and Jim Miller. And the guy has really clawed his way. Now he's on this eight-fight win streak, earned his title shot. I mean, I'm curious to see if the culmination of a life's work is going to result in him being a world champion. And then with Mike Chandler, you know, maybe he hasn't been in the UFC, but he's been paying his dues a long-ass time. And I mean, this is a guy finished... 
uh, former UFC champion Eddie Alvarez, finished former UFC champion Benson Henderson, only man in the UFC to knock out Dan Hooker with punches. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, he's credentialed to fight for a title. Uh, Shaq, how you see this one going down? Because I truly believe these guys fight 10 times. It's going to be a different result every time. And it's just about nailing this one Saturday night. How you see it going down? It's a tough one. It's a tough one because I could see it going either way. Truly, man. I think yeah. if you got if you got either guy at dog money, I mean, I would take it. Um, it's just tough because these guys like Charles, man. I almost feel like once they get to this title fight, that it's like got. When I say guys like him, guys that have have losses like a Poirier or a Bisping, uh, um, Makovich, uh you know, these guys that, you know, have had setbacks um, in the UFC. Chandler's had setbacks, too, so we can't act like he has. And, I mean, Chandler's bounced back from losses several times himself. Um, but Charles more so just because the, the, the extent of some of his losses. Like, we know he had a big issue. I mean, Charles Oliveira for the last better part of a decade has been labeled a quitter. I mean, you, you know, he's always been labeled a quitter. And, you know, this streak – yeah, there's only been, what, like a couple legit two or three, like real legit opponents on there. But I almost think that's good, man. It was almost like he just kept building his confidence fight by fight, fight by fight, um, and just getting more comfortable. But his striking is what really I feel like has been the X factor. It's like now he's a threat to actually hurt guys on the feet. And now he's like in, in his uh, younger days, and I don't think people really respected his stand-up too much. Um, I mean, he had a couple good moments, but. He was never a guy that was out here timing knees up the middle and, and jabbing guys and throwing overhand rights, uh, flying knees. He was more so just basics and kept it very simple. So I think that the fact that that part of his game has rounded out, man, it it, it almost makes Charles like an instant problem because it's like you can't take him down. You can't. It's like, you know, we got to worry about the, the triangle game. But now if the dude – is comfortable in, in the pocket. It's like he's tall, he's long, he's rangy. Um, and if you, you know, leave that head down, he could he could dangle off it. I mean, he's a, it's a lot, a lot of problems. Look, I think Chandler is a beast, man. I mean, a serious athlete, a little power ball. I mean, the dude can crack. I know you remember that uh, when he knocked out Patricio's big brother and left him unconscious uh, in the Bellator cage. I mean, I mean, that was one of the most vicious knockouts I've ever seen. I was like, I was like, yo, is, is Patricky dead? Like, somebody go get him. <laughs> like, uh, is he okay? Um, and, you know, his loss against Patricio, I actually bet Patricio at uh, plus 200 odds, but I honestly don't think there's much shame. I mean, uh, Patricio is a bad motherfucker. He's a two way world champ. Did you just see what Patricio did to Manny Sanchez? I mean, <laughs> I, mean One just, simply. <laughs> I mean, the dude just came out there and ran through him. So, Chandler, there's honestly no shame in that. Chandler is a top-tier fighter in that lightweight division. Now, the only concern I would have is I think he might be slightly overconfident. Just, I mean, look, be confident in yourself. But I remember what he's been saying, what he was saying a couple weeks ago. And, look, he's got every right. Charles has quit in the past. But, you know, going into a title fight, man, I, I want to hear my guy saying this is going to be a war. Look, if he knocks him out in the first round, he knocks him out in the first round. But – I want to hear my guy saying this is going to be a war to the end. And I and I like the way Charles Oliveira has been carrying himself a, a little bit, just calm, cool, collected, not really saying much. I mean, Charles has really matured into an elite fighter in front of our eyes. It took over 10 years, but 
You've seen this with the with the with a lot of guys, man. When they get to this title fight, they won't be denied. And the, uh, but yeah, when I, I want to get back to Chandler, his fight with Hooker was amazing. I mean, come out there to knock Dan Hooker out in the first round is a huge statement. But I cannot ignore some of the factors going into that fight. I truly look. If you go back to my breakdown before with that fight with Chandler, I picked Chandler to win that fight, and the, one of the main reasons I was saying is because I said Dan Hooker is completely bad energy right now. Look, like like Charles Oliveira said, had Dan Hooker been more focused on the fight instead of making jokes and, and trying to you know say Charles Olives and Charles you know all this shit at the press conference, maybe he could have fought a little better. But I truly think that was a spot where. You know, Dan Hooker was coming off that amazing fight that he had with Dustin Poirier, in which you, me, and you both know that got very crucial for him at towards the end. I mean, his I mean, look at his face at the end of that fight. I mean, two black eyes shut. I mean, bl blood everywhere. I mean, just look at the canvas after that fight. Um, Dan Hooker. I mean, Dustin Poirier might have took everything out of him. I think it was honestly just a perfect spot for Michael Chandler to come in here and get the win. I mean, Hooker. His fight with Paul Felder, I mean, it was very close. Um, he only beat out like Hooker was the more the most liable guy in that top six or seven picture, in my opinion. And then, like Hooker going into that fight was saying the same shit that you know when, before Gaethje came in. Uh, remember when when Gaethje was coming into the UFC and everyone was saying he's a he's a C League fighter and a and a B League fighter and all this and that. Like I was like, bro, you're making the same mistake, like. But because he's coming from Bellator, like, he can't fight. Like, you know, I think Hooker is just very, I don't want to say weak mentally, but just too carefree, runs his mouth a little bit too much, and I think he paid the price for it in that Mike Chandler fight. Um, Like, Charles Olives is cute and all, but, like, Charles Olives is fighting for a belt, and, you know, he, I, I heard they're trying to get you to take fights with, you know, Armand and, and, and Fiziev and things like that. So, you know, uh, I think uh, – Man, I can't, but yeah, but you can say the same thing for, uh, for Charles. He, he, you know, Tony Ferguson's washed up and this and that, but man, that was complete domination for 15 minutes. I kind of want to see what happens more with Mike Chandler. If this gets stretched out, because I have seen in some of his past fights in Bellator him start off very good and then kind of slow down in the late rounds, like the, uh, first fight with Benson Henderson and, you know, Mike Chandler, his chin has kind of, you know, been a little iffy in the past too, but I do think this is the best spot in his career. He's very confident in himself right now. It's a tough fight for me to call, but I'm going to go with Charles Oliveira, man. I think that is just one of those things where he's not going to be denied on Saturday night, man. He's just think about all the shit that Charles has like come back from, man. And like it's just like to the point where like, Shit, he earned his way to a title fight. You know, congratulations to him. I think he's going to get it done. I don't know how, a submission maybe. Uh, Chandler does duck that head down a lot. But I truly think that Dan Hooker was under a bad mindset, bad energy. Like, the shit Dan Hooker was saying going into that fight, I, I, I should have I been all over Chandler betting-wise, man, because, I mean, the kid just doesn't really think before he talks. But I, I, I think uh, – I think Charles is going to get this done with a knee or uh, a submission, but I am curious to see what happens if this becomes a, a war where both guys, a dog fight where both guys won it, you know, the case could be made that Chandler is a little tougher. So we'll see. It's just really to me about has Oliveira truly, you know, caught up the mental with the physical. Cause I mean, like I said, when we first saw this guy, we knew that, 
he had all the potential in the world. I mean, that submission ability, the way he runs you through the series, he transitions from different submissions over and over, his stand-up, the flying knees, just the whole arsenal. I can't knock his skill set even one bit. I think the guy is phenomenal. I think he's got the right size for the weight class. He's just a badass. It's just always been about the mental with him. You know, the last time he he quit was against Felder. You know, he ran him through the series. Felder survived and the Felder smashed him. Has Oliveira truly gotten over the hump or is he kind of, you know, just fought some very favorable matchups in this current win streak? That's that's the big question, because the only two top 15 guys he's beat in this you know, current win streak are Kevin Lee and Tony Ferguson. Um, so it's it, this fight's going to let us know exactly where he stands. But there's something to be said about a guy who's been grinding for over 10 years, who's been through the ups and downs. And Chandler has to. Don't get me wrong. I'm just talking about in the UFC. Um, it seems, you know, and I hate to bring up destiny and all of that, but it seems like it could be destiny for Charles Oliveira to wear that belt Saturday night. And then on the Chandler side, I think he's been he's been grinding for years, too. But I kind of feel like he's already had his title reign. He's, I believe, a three time world champion in Bellator. And people say, oh, it's just Bellator. I, being a Bellator champion is no easy feat, guys. Like you have to maybe the come up might be a little bit easier, but to actually win that title fight, like you're going to fight a high level guy. That, that's just the bottom line. Most of the Bellator champions are all badasses. I mean, Douglas Lima, Musasi, Chandler, like there, there's some real fighters there, man. Um, So it's my boy, Sergio. Yeah, sir. Sergio did his thing too. You know, shout out to him. Shout out to triple C. Remember when he fought Sergio, but um, basically one thing I, one thing about Chandler, you know, we have said maybe his chin might be suspect. What about his calves, man? You know that fight against Brent Primus, that first one where he, he had that he suffered that little nerve damage. You know, the first strike that Oliveira threw against Ferguson was the calf kick. I'm very curious to see how many calf kicks Charles gets off on in this fight. And then from there, I'm curious to see how it goes. I want to see how Charles responds to the, to the big power of Chandler. Chandler can crack, man. Chandler's knocked a lot of people out. He's knocked a lot of people down. Charles has been knocked down more than once. But if you want to talk about the evolution of Charles's mental game in that Tamor fight, he got dropped. And in past times, he might have let the ref intervene. But this time he got back up and he whooped the dude's ass. So maybe that's a sign that, you know, now he can overcome adversity. Like if the mental truly clicked, like that's the big question. If it truly clicked, then I think he's ready to be a world champion Saturday night. Um, with Chandler, I don't question his mental. With him, it's more like he's a max effort guy. He's going to go balls to the wall. If you're driving on the highway, you push that pedal to the metal, you're going over 100 miles per hour. It's only science that that gas tank is going to dwindle down just by nature. That's just by default how it goes, and that's how Mike Chandler fights. He goes balls to the wall from the jump, and I do think there's a chance he gets that early finish. I have seen early finishes on Charles before. I mean, I remember the Cub Swanson fight. I remember the Ricardo Lamas fight. I remember so many. The, the Max Holloway fight, I know you remember that. So for a guy like that to overcome all that adversity and then become a world champ, it would be like the Jan Blahovich story. You know, Jan started his UFC career, what, two and four, and now, now he's a world champion beating Izzy Adesanya and all these other guys. So... Yeah, it's pretty badass. I'm going to go with Charles Oliveira. I think that, you know, we will have that storybook ending with him, you know, having the belt around his waist. But if those past issues reappear, I can't sit here and act like I won't be surprised because we've seen it more than once. Right. But I am under the inclination that he's patched that up and that the physical, excuse me, that the mental has finally caught up with the physical. And if I'm right about that assessment, then I think he's going to be a champion Saturday night. So I'm going to go with Charles Oliveira to get it done. But 
listen, I, I can't fault anybody for taking dog money on Chandler here. Like, I completely understand the case for both. Like I said, this is truly one of those fights. They fight 10 times. I, I can see it going either way, and I can make the case for both guys. But I'm going to say Saturday night is Charles Oliveira's night. So uh, let, let's see what happens, guys. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So in your opinion, what is the fight to watch for UFC 262? Yo, uh, you're muted, my man. My bad. Um, I was saying uh, my fight to watch is that co-main event, Tony Ferguson and, and Darius, because Darius' is excitement, man, and, and, and Ferguson is also excitement, but Ferguson, I don't want to say his legacy is on the line, but, you know, another loss here definitely doesn't help, and Dariush is looking to move up. I think they got him, what, number eight, nine? Number nine, yeah. So I think uh, if he wins this fight, he gets to move up in the rankings. He's closer to a title fight. Um, it's a big fight in that lightweight division, man. Is T-Ferg ready to bounce back, or or is uh, T-Ferg's best days behind him? I'm, I'm excited to sign it. Those two are – them two together just feel like fight of the night to me, though. Yeah, my fight to watch is Edson Barboza and Shane Burgos. I mean, really, let, let me know the last time you saw a boring uh, Shane Burgos fight. And I think the same can be said about Edson Barboza. Some serious heat is going to be exchanged in that fight. Um, I really do think we're going to be on the edge of our seat for that one for as long as it lasts, whether it's a first round knockout, whether it's a three round war, whether it's a beat down on either side. I truly believe Barboza and Burgos, that, that's, that's the kind of fight where you don't want to miss it. Neither guy is going to be out here humping someone's leg, pinning you up against the fans, making the crowd at Houston boo. The, the crowd in Houston is going to be on their feet for Barbosa. Spe speaking, uh, speaking of Houston, um, sorry to cut you off, but what's worse, Apex judges or Houston judges? <laughs> Hashtag 3026 Bosch. Y'all got to go back and watch Tim Bosch for CB Dalloway if you want sure. the first example of those Texas for those, judges. Uh, for those that don't know about them Houston or them Texas judges, I'm going to just give you some of the examples of some of the decisions. I don't think uh, Murphy and Lee was a robbery, but that was in Texas. Uh, Martinez and Ull was in Texas. Boshan Dalloway was in Texas. Um, I know you remember that Alexander Hernandez and Trinaldo fight. That was in Texas. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, them Texas judges, my God, they, uh, they're known for their fuckery, but we'll see what happens on Saturday. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of those things now where it's like betting on the sport has gotten tougher in the way that like you don't even know what these judges are seeing anymore, man. Like some of these scorecards I've been seeing at the Apex or in Texas, I'm just like, you know, you there's been the, uh, you mean 3027 Trezano? <laughs> like I, I get that that fight played out closer than the line, but like I thought it was like I thought Klein won the first two rounds and lost the third. I thought it was pretty like clear what happened. And it's not even just that fight. There's so many other examples. It's just you never know. It's like, what about uh, Dwight yeah, Grant I mean, and Sekulich? Like, yeah, that, that see, man, I felt bad. You should have seen uh, my boy Dusko Todorovic's face in the corner. They, I mean, they were in like they were in complete shock. They were like, what? <laughs> like, I think Dusko was actually. Uh, he was asking to see the uh, the scorecard for himself. He was like, wait, let me see. Like, it was fucking hilarious. Before we talk about the fighter to watch, uh, the fans wanted to know your opinion on uh, that fucking weirdo that had Diego Sanchez hanging from a thing and it was like kicking him in the face. You talking about Coach Fabian? 
Coach Fabia, Master Fabia, that guy. Yeah, um, you talking about uh, Master Fabia? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, what do I think about it? it doesn't shock guys. Y'all know. I, look, I'm not. No, I'm not a Diego Sanchez fan personally. Um, there's um, fans of plenty of guys in the sport, but he's one of the guys where I've all. You know, there's only a few guys that have blocked me on Twitter, and and let me just say them. Actually, there's only two guys. Well. And one of them's Tyrone Woodley and the other one's Diego Sanchez. I mean, look, these guys, I don't even want to get into it because I know I'm going to hurt a lot of feelings, but I'm actually not even going to say it because everyone loves Diego Sanchez. But I just look at him a little differently. Um, am I surprised by this? No. I mean, Diego's a nut job, dude. I mean, like Coach Fabian. I mean, and you know, things in Albuquerque, uh, I've never been to Albuquerque, but from what I've seen, I mean, it just looks like <laughs> It just looks like a weird place. And I mean, I mean, you got them to Josh Fabia. I mean, I, I've seen the guy running with knives in his hands and, and chasing his uh, students around the cage. And and now he's punching Diego in the face upside down. I mean, I don't feel sorry for a grown man with Diego, uh, Diego's experience and, and knowledge of the game following a guy like Josh Fabia. But that's just me personally. Um, but I hope... Uh, I mean, but you can't tell a grown man what to do, especially when you got money like Diego Sanchez. I mean, that, it's just not going to happen. I, I Unfortunately, I see a lot of BJ Penn signs coming up here uh, uh, shortly. So stay tuned to TMZ. I'm, I'm sure we'll see Diego in a bar in a, in a year or so fighting some find some uh, snow cone guy or the or the strip club bathroom attendant one of them you know <laughs> i just hope that tony ferguson doesn't go down that path oh hey he, trust me he him too he, uh, in a few years we're gonna be like god damn it tony not again <laughs> it's just it's just sad because like you know uh, diego did have some fantastic fights back in the day that martin campman fight one of my favorite fights the, no, the Paulo Tiago fight was a great fight too. Um, so he just had a lot of classic wars, but you know, when you take that kind of damage, then you add some years onto it. And now at the point where he's at, at the end of his career and you get this little leech, you know, come in and brainwash I mean, you the way he has. The, the sad thing is, is that he's actually giving him money and it's, <laughs> you know, Diego's rich. So it's like, it's like Josh Fabia is literally making a check off this off this shit. I, like, I heard that Diego's been cutting off members of his family to be loyal to Josh Fabia. So it's just. I mean, yeah. uh, not not only that, I also heard that they're in a relationship too. But hey, that's not my <laughs> that's not my business. Yeah, I mean, I got nothing against them being in a relationship. I just wish that you know he they weren't no, I'm doing. Just I'm just I just wish I they weren't doing other dumbass shit like fucking what happened at the fighter meeting, the hanging upside down. I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? And we know can how the story is going to end. So, can you believe they would talk to Megan like that? Like, why would you talk to Megan like that? Yeah, um, completely. Like, when you talk about school of self awareness, it's like the complete opposite of self awareness. It's like the school then, of self unawareness. It's unreal. An another another thing I wanted to mention: Stefan Bonner. What the. What the hell is that guy doing and enabling Diego like that? I remember when he got pissed at Diego for eating all the asparagus. I don't know if you remember that on, on the tough show, but you know. But now I see their best of now they're best of friends. Exactly, Alfonso. You can't mix business. I mean, worst girlfriend, <laughs> platinum princess, or uh, hey, real definitely. quick, platinum princess got more dubs in the UFC than Fabia. So like, we, like, we got... like platinum princess actually. Well, he. 
Fabio did uh, beat Michelle Pereira by by quitting. Mean, <laughs> beat Michelle Diego. Pereira. <laughs> they defeated Michelle Pereira, um, and you know he uh, and but Platinum Princess actually legitimately won a, a fight as the only corner man. So uh, we got to give her some sh- shout out to Coach Latore. Yeah, and the Platinum Princess too, the uh, Danielle. Because when I saw uh, Mike Perry fight Jake Ellenberger in Nashville, he knocked him out. Danielle was in the corner, so I think that the Platinum Princess has more credentials than Josh Fabia personally. Oh, she ain't she ain't the Platinum Princess no more. <laughs> <laughs> both both platinum, hey, both Platinum Princesses got more credentials than uh, Josh Fabia, in my opinion. But uh, now we got to talk about the fighter to watch. So, Shaq, who who is the fighter to watch for UFC two sixty two? Um, man, that's a tough one. My fighter to watch is actually going to be a surpriser of some sorts. It's going to be big sister Antonina, man. She kind of is in the shadow of, of little sis. Little sis is, I mean, is it safe to say she's, is it too soon to say she's top, uh, second, third of all time? I mean, who's, uh, Nunez number one, who's number two, Cyborg, then three, <coughs> three, I guess we got to, Start putting the Valentinas in there of all time. So um, I think Antonina, she's got a tough fight on her hands with Andrea. But Andrea, you know, p- borderline, you know, like you were saying, she hasn't been the same without a uh, master Donnie Aaron. And, and, and I'm not a uh, man. I'm, I'm very interested to see how Antonina she looked. She looked very good her last fight. Um, and I think if she wins. I mean, she she gets to move up in the rankings, and I'm not saying they're completely against doing sister versus sister, but you know, shit, sister versus sister could sell a lot, man. Yeah, we'd love to have that in the NFC too <laughs> on the posters. I mean, that'll sell out uh, the district in Atlanta very very fast. But yeah, look for me, my fighter to watch is Andre Muniz because I understand that he's fighting Jacare on this big losing streak, and that you know. It's a close fight, and it won't surprise a lot of people if Andre Muniz wins. But let me tell you this. If Andre Muniz becomes the first man in MMA history to submit Jacare, that's going to be a huge deal. That's going to be on highlight reels everywhere. That's going to be something they're talking about in jiu-jitsu class. That's going to be like one of those passing of the torch moments where, you know, the the old alligator passes it on to the new young stud. And I'm curious to see what happens in these grappling exchanges. So my eyes on Andre Muniz in this fight, and he's my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down Saturday night in Texas at the Toyota center, UFC 262. Make sure y'all check out that pay-per-view. Thank you very much for supporting half the battle. Follow Shaq at MMA genius. 05. follow me at best fight picks. Uh, I apologize about the mic issues earlier. Definitely going to get that situated. So thank you guys for sticking with us regardless um subscribe to half the battle on itunes soundcloud youtube stitcher spotify all the places where we are available shout out to our sponsor manscaped uh, go to manscaped.com use that promo code battle 20 for 20 percent off and free shipping shout out to my boy marcus with bud crush for hooking me and shack up with some fire gear truly love repping it uh been repping it everywhere braves game nfc fights man it just looks good feels good so i'm very happy um uh, so you've yeah, been rocking wanna... that shit shack Yes, I have actually. Um, and shout out to my boy Bud Crush, man. That's some show, show him, turn, stand up and show him the back of that, man. Yeah, bro, this shit right here. I mean, you know what I'm saying for all my for all my 420 homies out there. But I don't um, know if y'all saw it, but it's dope as fuck. But uh, man, yeah, shout out to Bud Crush. Another thing I wanted to say, man, is all the love we get from Twitter is greatly appreciated. You know, sometimes. You know, I got a I got a full time job. I can't go through all my mentions, but 
you know, I do appreciate all the love we get from each show to show. It's definitely greatly appreciated. Another thing, man, let's let's be positive on that MMA community, man. I, you know, I don't want to see dudes in here arguing and then, we, you know, people bringing up d- dumb shit. Like, uh, it's supposed to be just a, a, you know, like a positive community. But it's like, damn, just because someone doesn't agree with you doesn't mean he's a, a dipshit or, you know, a, a you know, an idiot, like, there's a difference in opinions, man, but, um, that's just one thing I wanted to say, shout out to the homie Rockstar Whitehead, uh, I heard he sniped a dude in, in less than a minute, um, so, yeah, that's what's going on. Yeah, make sure y'all remember the name Jamar the Rockstar Whitehead, because, uh, he will be in the UFC 100% guaranteed top prospect out of Georgia, I'm also happy to represent him, and want to know as a pro now, and handled, handled that want to know in style, and put himself on the map, at only one and no, people are already looking at him. So I'm, I'm very pumped to see what he does. Uh, so shout out to Jamar the Rockstar Whitehead. Shout out to all our supporters, all our listeners. Thank you guys so much for everything. We'll be back for the next card. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.